Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 8, 28 through 34, called The King's Power Over Darkness. Turn to the book of Acts for a moment. I want to show you a parallel account that hit me this week as I was studying Acts chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to show you something that happened in, the, in a city called Philippi, Acts chapter 16. We're actually studying this in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. It happens right here in the office, 9 a.m., We usually have about 15 to 20 guys in the office studying the Word of God. We're moving through the book of Acts. On Friday mornings, if you're a guy and you want to get more plugged into a discipleship Bible study, we meet at 7.30. We're going through the book of Revelation right here in the office. And on Tuesday mornings, they meet at um, Corky's right off Cajalco, and they're studying the book of Romans. And they start at 7 a.m. So this is all on the church app, but if you want to get to know some guys and be part of a Bible study, that would be really good. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, we have the story of three transformations. One is Lydia, a businesswoman of the time. One is a servant girl who happens to be demon-possessed. And the third story of transformation is the Philippian jailer, that famous story. Pick up the text with me in Acts 16. We pick it up at verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, Luke writing the book of Acts, And he's with the team at this point, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus, notice now for the second time, did not permit them to go in these certain regions. I don't know how that happened, how they got the word, but they were forbidden or not permitted. And they were passing by Mysia, and they came down to Troas. Verse 9, chapter 16. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This was a vision that Paul got. And note the words, come over here, please, and help us. I, I, I see in here a parallel to our story before us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea, notice once again we have the sea. From Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We're staying in this city for some days. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Literally, this is a python spirit. This girl was possessed, and she had some uh, rare gifts, you could say. She had the ability to fortune tell. And when when a person goes to a fortune teller, and let me just say to you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no business ever going to anybody like this. A medium, a seance, uh, seeking out someone to read your palm, all of that stuff is forbidden for the believer. If you get any answers from that medium, it's not coming from God. The, this is the dark side of the equation. Well, the, the girl had some ability. She was able to 
tell people about the past, present, and future, probably amazed people with her gifts. And she was bringing her master's, notice, much profit by fortune-telling. 17. Following after Paul and us, says Luke, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. Mark that in your Bible. It is biblical to be annoyed. And not just annoyed, greatly annoyed. So next time you're on the 91 and you get annoyed, just say, hey, it's a Bible verse. Paul was greatly annoyed. Why can't I be? Now, of course, Paul, it was a little bit more spiritual in Paul's case, right? He was annoyed at the girl's presence. He was annoyed at her continuing to say this. And so he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment and she was delivered. Now, this has always puzzled people. And scholars or commentators have different takes on what's going on here. Why would the girl possessed by a demonic spirit follow these missionaries around and say, these men are showing you the way of salvation. These men are showing you the way of salvation over and over, on and on, to the point where it annoyed Paul. Some people say, well, it's because God doesn't need the devil's endorsement. That's one major take on the passage to explain it. One view is the language could mean she says a way of salvation, not the way. And that's debatable. I think you could take it either way. Maybe she's preaching all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you believe and trying to kind of thwart the gospel message. But that's not the way the scholars render it here in the New American Standard. And Pastor John taught this passage a couple years back and he ran something by me that I thought was insightful. He said, do you think it's possible that the girl was following the missionary team around because she deeply longed for deliverance from Jesus Christ? Do you think that the vision of the man from Macedonia, come over here and help us, the Holy Spirit forbidding them to go to certain regions, then they get on a boat, they come to Philippi, was because there was a girl there who in her more lucid moments was saying something like, oh Lord, can you set me free? Can you deliver me from this bondage? I think there's a parallel there. And if we take it at face value, maybe in her more lucid moments, she was wondering, can I be set free? I believe that anybody anywhere on the planet who calls genuinely on the name of the Lord and says, Lord, would you deliver me from my darkness, whether it's the darkness of sin, whether it's spiritual oppression, whether it's even possession, and they cry out, Lord, save me. I believe that the Lord will send a missionary, give you a dream, deliver you, do whatever he wants to do. Amen? This is our God. And I don't think it's much of a stretch to take these two stories together and see a potential connection that Jesus has a divine appointment on the other side of the sea to rescue two men who were scary, who were in such a dark place in life, it's almost hard to imagine where they had uh, fallen to. And so into the boat they go, and they cross the sea. In the Jewish mind, if you turn back to Matthew chapter 8, the sea represented darkness and chaos. I mentioned Isaiah 27 to you last week. Isaiah 27 depicts 
uh, the sea and even a kind of a mystical sea monster as chaotic and parallels him with the dragon in the book of Revelation. Satanic powers, dark, chaotic, unpredictable. Years ago, I was a surfer, believe it or not, when I was a teenager, and my friends wanted to go out surfing at night in Newport Beach. And this is when the Jaws movies were all uh, coming out. Jaws 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 17. And I remember, oh yeah, let's go out and surf at night. That sounds great. And I remember sitting on my board at night in Newport Beach. My mother's like, you did? When did you do that? (laughs) We'll have this discussion later, mom. But anyway, some years ago, I, I spoke at a conference on truth. It was an apologetics conference. And I think I was slated as the first speaker to speak. And as uh, we were getting ready for the beginning of the conference, they lost power in the building. And I went up and I was trying to graciously stall. And I told my three best jokes, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and a woman in the crowd said, pastor, pray. It's almost like she rebuked me. Don't, she was like saying, don't you see there's something spiritual going on here? Pray. You may doubt this, but I will tell you that there's times when we're in something very important, spiritually speaking, and somehow the enemy messes with it. You can believe it or not. I don't really care if you believe it or not, but I'm just telling you it does happen. So Father, We pray for your spiritual covering as we move into these realms. We know we have an enemy that's real, but we know that we're more than conquerors. So would you bless our time, keep our hearts open to what you have to say. Protect each of us and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The sea was uh, something chaotic and dark in the Jewish mind, as I mentioned. And uh, this is why many scholars believe that in Revelation 21, there will be no more sea. Because it will mean that God has destroyed all the dark, chaotic powers of life. And that would include sin, death, the sea, all those things that the devil uh, had a hand in, if you will. Job 26 verse 12 says, He quieted the sea with his power. and By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Rahab is Rahab the harlot in the Bible, but there's another Rahab. And it makes a connection once again to this dark, mystical sea monster, sometimes found in Canaanite myths. I want to share this verse because I believe it's for someone. Just write this down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 51, 8 through 13 says these words. For the moth will eat them like a garment. The grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake is in the days of old. Uh, the generations of long ago, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, the scary sea monster, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you to be afraid of man who dies, and of the Son of Man who is made like grass? That you have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. 
But where is the fury of the oppressor? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk in Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. You have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? God's saying in Isaiah 51, 8 through 13, don't you know who I am? I'm the one that commands the seas. I'm the one that made the world, the sea, the dry land, the stars, and all that is in them. Why do you fear man? Why do you fear the fury of the enemy? Why do you walk around all day long in fear? This is why I believe that Jesus rebuked the apostles. Oh, men of little faith, why are you so afraid? Some of us think, well, what did he expect of them? It was, it was an incredible storm, maybe something they had never seen before because they had forgotten who was on the boat. They were asking questions about his identity, but they hadn't put it all together. And the demons on the other side of the sea are going to answer their question. What kind of man is this? Son of God and son of man. Amen? That's what's before us. Jesus, I believe, hears the cry. And so he came, Matthew 8, 28, part A. Matthew's version, again, very abridged. When he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes. Uh, some have rendered this, some of the gospels, Gerasenes. Some of the versions have a, a different word here. But scholars conclude that this was a wider area that led all the way up to the seashore, a very pagan area. I mentioned the, the fertility cult was practiced here. The pig was the sacred animal, very humanistic, maybe kind of like a Las Vegas of the ancient day kind of thing. And it was, this region was across the lake. So here's how you could picture it. Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, about six miles across the lake, you end up on the northeast side of the sea in the pagan area, commingled Jew and Gentile. Probably if you're Jewish on that other side, you're in some form of compromise. And get this, it's quite possible that not only the demon-possessed men are Jewish, but the herd, herdsmen of the pigs are living in compromise and they're Jewish. And what would be the main reason to 
have unclean animals, 2,000 of them that you are not supposed to touch or eat or have anything to do with. Why? One word, bacon. (laughs) And doesn't that explain a lot? (laughs) One of my, you might say one of my favorite words, (laughs) bacon. But for the Jew, it was an unclean animal. It was an unclean area. Everything about this place was unclean from the location to the confrontation. Two men, part B of verse 28, who were demon-possessed, met him. Much like the description of the servant girl in Acts 16. As they were coming out of the tombs, they were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. Now, you got to get out of your mind a modern graveyard with... um, tombs and and a gate that might let you in. That's not how it looked in the ancient world. Uh, Tombs were hewn out of rock, typically on hillsides. So these two men who lived among the tombs would live on a hillside where uh, bodies were laid in tombs hewn directly out of the rock. That's the way it worked. Then they'd be kind of up on the hill and they lived among the tombs. And this was another unclean compromise. Jews were not supposed to interact with dead bodies, touch dead bodies. So you can imagine the place that they've gotten to. Imagine this. One of the gospel writers says one of the men, at least one of them, has no clothes on. People have tried to bind him with chains. And he's, so, he's got so much supernatural strength, he's able to break the chains. No one could have any dealings with them anymore. They were so violent. I think there was a sign like in the Wizard of Oz, Witch's Castle, shortly ahead, I'd turn back if I were you. And can you imagine, you get out of the boat, you've watched Jesus calm the sea, stretch your faith, you get out of the boat, and you look up on the hillside, and here come two really scary, freaky individuals. And they come running down the hill towards you, you're like, oh, great evangelism in the graveyard. Exactly what I signed up for, right? And uh, I think it was Spurgeon who called this area Satan's castle. These men just, they so dominated this. Some of you can remember back to your teenage years when you went to an abandoned house that your friends called haunted. Uh, Mom, I'm gonna (laughs) miss something else from the (laughs) fault. I have a lot of explaining to do. Anyway, <laughs> there was this place when we were in high school called The Geek. And it was up in the Santa Ana Hills. And me and my friends would set stuff up so that people thought it was haunted. <laughs> and the Lord saved me. <laughs> When they had come out of the boat, immediately, Mark says, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. If you're the apostles, you have to be thinking, oh no, here we go again. He's touching lepers. He's, he's crossing all these boundaries. Is this why we're here? And the answer is yes. I spent gas in my car a couple days ago and there was uh, obviously a homeless man rummaging through the trash cans. As you know, that, that happens at times. And you know, I, I feel compassion and empathy, but I try to use wisdom on what to do and when to engage and when not to. And in this case, I didn't. 
And as the guy was rummaging through the, one of the trash cans, he went, Aah! and I think he touched a rotten banana. And that's the sound I make when I touch a rotten banana. <laughs> anyway, sorry. He was a little freaky. And sometimes I'll offer to buy somebody a meal if they're hungry. Obviously, you got to use great wisdom and discretion. I said this at first service, and a man came up. He's a brother in the Lord. He used to be on the streets homeless. And he said to me, Pastor Michael, he goes, I wasn't possessed, but I was certainly oppressed by dark powers. And he said, you know what meant the most to me when I was on the street? When people would come up and pray for me. He said, it was nice if people gave me something to eat and maybe even handed me a little bit of money. He said, but he said, when people prayed for me, this is his words, it broke me down. Something to remember. And so these men, uh, the other gospel writers say they're on the hills among the tombs, croaking at night, almost like when you hear coyotes howling at night. But they were humans. They were making the noises, screeching and howling. Gospel accounts taken together said they cut themselves with rocks to try to force the demons out of them. It was an ugly, terrible scene. And that's where Jesus goes. Leaves the crowds crosses the raging sea, faces off with the enemy. Why? Because he loves. Because this is his mission, to leave the glories of heaven and come down and save the one. These men had broken their chains, but they were in spiritual chains, no doubt. Satan had a foothold. Obviously, these were deep levels of possessions, and we're going to learn that there were perhaps thousands of demons, at least in the one man, because Jesus asked, what is your name? And the man's response, legion, for we are many. Think about it. A Roman legion had 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen and other technical personnel. That's over 6,100 individuals. If we take it literally, legion means thousands of spirits. If we take it just as a word to describe more than one, you can imagine, remember, there's 2,000 pigs up on the hill. So the numbers have to be very significant. And Mark tells us that the man, one of the men that is Mark's focus, ran up to Jesus and bowed down before him and asked the question, what do we have to do with you? Why would a demon-possessed man run up to Jesus and engage with him? Some people, some scholars say, well, demons were deeply fascinated or drawn to him even though they knew that he would cast them out. Does that make total sense? No. But could it be, I throw this out for your consideration, that in at least some of the lucid moments that this individual had, he ran up to Jesus because Jesus was the answer to his cry. Because Jesus was God's provision to save him. Because God had heard his cry. God in human flesh. And he ran up as if to say, please deliver me now. Help me. And deliverance had showed up on the seashore. We don't always understand what God is doing, but I will tell you this. God is always in the business of rescue. Always. Always. And behold, 29, they cried out. 
saying, what do we have to do with you, son of God? They know who he is. The demons believe that God is one. James 2, I think it's verse 19, and they shudder. They have one up on a lot of people. They have correct theology, plus they're fearful of God, while others walk in pride and have no fear of the Lord. Can you hear it? Don't you care that we're perishing? Yes, I care. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You've been listening to The King's Power Over Darkness, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew, Chapter 8, Verses 28 through 34. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. Or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 8, 28-34, called The King's Power Over Darkness. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.